Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Uh, well, that day, I remember like it was yesterday. Um, it was the last uh, day of classes in the fall semester, the last class, the last hour of classes. But I wasn't in a class. I was in the student union room. And then suddenly somebody came in and said, uh, there's a guy with a gun. And, you know, the person shut the door, closed the light and said, be quiet. And uh, we were maybe a dozen in the room and we didn't, you know, no idea what was happening, you know, no clue what to do, total confusion. So we just waited, waited and and heard gunshots and heard people screaming. And, um, you know, I swear it didn't enter our, our minds that anybody could actually be dead. Like um, it was, it was total confusion because, you know, we've seen it in, in the news uh, from the United States, but not in Canada, not in Quebec, not in Montreal, and certainly not in our school, in our peaceful community in Canada, where we assumed we had tough gun control and that kind of thing wouldn't happen here. That's Heidi Rathjen. Today, she's a coordinator of the gun control advocacy group, Police Souviens. But on December 6, 1989, Heidi was a witness to Montreal's École Polytechnique shooting, when a man walked into the school, separated men from women, and then opened fire. That day, he shot and killed 14 women and injured 14 other people. In Australia... They brought in much tougher bans than Canada has, and there was also a subsequent drop in gun crime. That's Patrick White, a staff reporter at The Globe. He's covered gun legislation as well as mass shootings, and is here to talk about where we stand on gun control in Canada. This is The Decibel. Patrick, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So we know the Polytechnique shooter, he used a, a legal gun uh, when he killed 14 people in 1989. Do we know today, is that gun still legal? It is and it isn't. As of May 2020, the Liberal government brought in a prohibition on about 2,000 different models of magazine-fed semi-automatic rifles. That included the gun that was used in the uh, Ecole Polytechnique massacre. So what that means is owners of those guns can hold on to them, but they cannot use them for anything. There will be a buyback that is coming. We don't know exactly when. And that buyback will allow owners of those guns to either sell the rifle back to the government at what they say is fair market value, or they will be able to have their rifle permanently disabled. They'll be able to hold on to it, but it will not be able to fire anymore. It's a, at a bit of an in-between juncture at this point. Broadly speaking, uh, is it easier or is it more difficult today to legally buy a gun in Canada? Well, if you're going for the what the Liberal government has termed assault weapons and what a lot of gun owners would rather call you know, modern sporting rifles or black rifles, there's many terms for these things. They're essentially magazine-fed semi-automatic rifles, you can't buy them anymore at all. They cannot be imported. So if we're talking about those models of rifle, they are completely off limits at the moment for any kind of commerce. All other guns, it's still pretty much wide open within certain limits. 
even for a non-restricted rifle, uh, you have to get a PAL license, a possession and acquisition license. If you want a restricted firearm, and that includes most handguns and a, a number of different other firearms, you have to get an RPAL, which is a restricted possession and acquisition license. And that requires uh, many hours of education in a classroom. It also requires, thanks to liberal legislation that actually did pass during their first term, C-71, a lifetime background check. So it used to be, if you wanted a firearm in this country, they would look at the last five years of your record, talk to people in your life about the last five years. Now they look at your whole life. So it, it is, has become slightly more difficult in this country to get that. Can we talk about the buyback plan that we kind of touched on a little bit? What are critics of that plan saying? What what issues do they have with that? Well, they just believe that it's a huge overstep uh, by this government. Many of these gun owners have acquired these guns over several decades. The guns were legal. Many of them are actually previous to the ban were considered non-restricted rifles. So these people could go out and hunt with these guns. They could carry them around just as one would a hunting rifle. As of May 2020, those rifles that they bought legally and have used legally for years, to their minds, turn them into criminals as soon as they have them in their possession. I'll also ask about what you're hearing, I guess, from the other side, critics from the other side of the argument, uh, because this is a, a, a voluntary buyback plan. What are the issues from the other side there? Well, some of these advocates for a rifle ban have been pushing for this for 32 years, and they've heard successive governments tell them that they will impose some kind of ban on these rifles. And year after year, government after government, they have been disappointed by what they've seen. Once again, what this government promised to ban the rifle used in a coal poly technique. And it turns out that it, that it has been banned for use as of May 2020, but they gave gun owners some time before the buyback came in. So gun owners of these semi-automatic rifles are still allowed to have these guns in their possession, which to gun control advocates kind of violates this promise that they heard from the government that these rifles would simply be taken off the streets. They're maybe off the streets, but they still remain in private gun lockers and private homes. And a lot of advocates in this country would like to see them just eliminated entirely. Do we have a sense of, of the extent to which legal weapons, legally purchased weapons, contribute to gun violence in the country these days? Well, so one of the things we can do for that is talk to the police about the guns that they are finding at crime scenes. They're guns that they term crime guns. A few years ago, they were finding uh, that about 60%, in some cases, of the guns they were recovering at, at crime scenes were smuggled guns, 40% were domestic guns. That means they were originally bought in this country legally and then somehow migrated to the criminal market. Now that ratio from what I hear in Toronto, where police keep some of the best records in the country of any municipal force, it's now around 80% of the guns they're finding are coming from U.S. smuggling and, a, and around 20% were originally bought and sold in Canada legally. I want to ask you about an investigation that The Globe did a couple of years ago that found that assault-style rifles were linked to a relatively small number, uh, actually less than 1% of homicide or, or attempted homicide investigations in Canada. So 
How will banning and buying back these rifles then make the country safer? Yeah, that's a difficult one. And it's difficult to answer because by taking these kinds of rifles that have been associated with a lot of mass shootings in the U.S. off the streets, it's really a, a preventative measure. It's a safeguard against one day mass shootings taking place in Canada on the scale that they have in the U.S. Uh, one reason that we've seen a lot of AR-15s for instance, used in mass shootings in the U.S., is there are simply so many of them. They, they refer to them as the belly button gun in the U.S. because everybody's got one. Here in Canada, they are not in such high circulation, so we haven't seen the AR-15 in mass shootings here. When we talk about gun crime in this country, we're really, to a large degree, talking about urban gun crime. When you look at somewhere like Toronto, it is handguns that are the root of many of these uh, shootings that we're seeing. And in, in many cities, major cities across the country, if we really want to get to the root of the day-to-day -day gun violence that we hear about all the time in major cities across the country, handguns are at the root of that. Okay, so let's talk about handguns then, uh, because it does sound like this is a huge, huge part of the problem. You mentioned Toronto, and, and I believe the number is about 85% of handguns seized there by police are smuggled over the border. So even if we have gun control legislation in place, there's this whole issue of illegal weapons as well. What are the plans to, to tackle that? Well, the federal government has promised money for a crackdown at the border. They've promised money to the RCMP for enforcement of guns coming over the border. But they're, they're in a tough spot. We live north of the world's biggest gun dealer, and guns are being smuggled over our border and the Mexican border at just rates that I don't think any level of law enforcement can keep up with. Uh, Mexico uh, recently sued American gun manufacturers early this year because of the just flood of guns that come over that border. Mexico has much tighter gun regulations than we do. There is a single gun store in the entire country of Mexico. It is run by the military, uh, yet they have about 22,000 gun deaths per year there, which shows the conundrum that we're facing in Canada. No level of gun control can prevent those guns from flowing across the border. It's going to take other measures to address that. And like you said, 85% of the guns that police are discovering in crime scenes here in Toronto come from that smuggling activity and not from legal sales. So all this being said about handguns and the issues around that, why are advocates and the government so focused on on assault-style weapons instead? Well, when you look to the worst single incidents of gun crime in this country, such as a cold polytechnique, when you look to the U.S. and the rash of mass shootings they've had really since Columbine, it's almost been never-ending, these are the major incidents that I think law enforcement, that elected officials really want to prevent. And one way they can try to prevent those is by taking the types of rifles used in those crimes off the street. And, and there's great political will uh, on the behalf of 
everybody in, in this country to, to really get rid of those guns because they've seen the AR-15, for instance, mentioned in so many stories uh, on CNN and elsewhere associated with U.S. mass shootings that they see those rifles as the enemy. There also isn't as many of them in this country as there are handguns. So eradicating handguns from Canada with a buyback program would be a very pricey proposition. Just going after you know, roughly 100,000 semi-automatic rifles in this country, the estimates range from 200 million to a billion dollars. So even that's not going to be cheap. Handguns, it would be uh, many, many more dollars. Many gun advocates would like to see a full-on handgun ban in this country, including families who are victims of the Danforth shooting uh, in 2018. Somebody used a handgun to shoot two young people on Danforth Avenue in Toronto. That they have not seen forthcoming from the Liberal government as of yet. What actually works to, to stop or decrease gun violence? Like, what, what do we actually need to do in order to, to put an end to some of this? This is where there should be a little agreement between both sides of this issue. One of the things that has worked in many cities in the U.S. is anti-gang initiatives. A lot of the gun crime in this country is taking place because there is demand for guns. And as long as there is a demand for guns, because we live next to the world's biggest gun dealer, those guns are going to keep flowing over this border and into the hands of people who are going to use them for criminal purposes. If you can tamp down the demand, and that means by having gang intervention, by having gang exit strategies, and many other measures like that, then perhaps the supply of guns will dwindle, of criminal guns anyways, will dwindle in the country. It's a difficult question to answer, and it's why the issue remains so fraught in this country and many other countries. Many measures have been proven not to work. Uh, gun control in Mexico, as we found, does not work. Gun control in the UK, in Australia, arguably, has worked. So what has the UK or, or Australia, what have they been doing right? Well, in the UK, after the Dunblane massacre, there was a total ban on assault rifles. I believe there was a total ban on handguns and Soon after those bans came in, we saw there was a drop in gun crime. Uh, same in, in Australia. They brought in much stricter, tougher bans than Canada has. And there was also a subsequent drop in gun crime. In both countries, gun crime has managed to sneak up a little bit. In the UK, they are having a similar problem that, that we are having with guns being smuggled into the country and being used by the criminal element. But in both countries, there was a correlation between gun control, very strict gun bans, and a decline in gun crime. This issue falls under, um, for the most part, the, the Ministry of Public Safety, and, and Canada now has a new Minister of Public Safety as of October, Marco Minicino. Do we have a sense yet of if this issue will be a priority for him or what he is looking to do on it? I haven't been able to get that sense yet. There has been a talk so far about what they're going to do with the handgun ban issue. As, as I mentioned earlier, there's a number of groups that are very upset that the Liberal government has not done more on the handgun issue. In about 2018, the, the Liberal government said they would be doing more to allow municipalities to enact their own handgun bans. 
And critics of that idea said that that's just unworkable because there are no, no borders around municipalities. So how are gun carrying criminals going to know whether a gun is banned in one municipality and not in the other? It's it, They've tried it in the States. It, it just doesn't work. They are now saying that they will give provinces the ability to ban handguns and do more to allow provinces to uh, ban handguns. During the election campaign, the Liberal government said they would commit $1 billion to provinces and territories that would bring in a, a total jurisdictional handgun ban. Aside from that, it's early in the term. I haven't heard much. We started off talking about the Ecole Polytechnique shooting, uh, and even all these years later, uh, Canada just experienced its its worst mass shooting last year, uh, when a shooter killed 22 people in, in Porto Peak, Nova Scotia. Uh, and that was actually a, a tragedy that you yourself did cover. From everyone you've talked to, from everything that you've heard, do you get the sense that we as a country are, are tackling this issue of gun violence uh, in an effective way? It's difficult to say. There is a conversation about reducing demand for guns. There, during the election campaign, the Liberals did say they were going to commit, I believe, uh, around $250 million towards anti-gang initiatives. That will do something uh, when it comes to the kind of urban gun crime we're talking about. With uh, Peak, that is something very different. As far as I know, all of the guns that he acquired were, were illegal guns. Uh, one, I believe, was illegally purchased in, in Maine and brought illegally over the border. I don't know what gun control measures will be able to do about that. Certainly the, the debate here is about, I believe, is about increasing public safety, making people safer, preventing mass shootings at some point. It is rancorous, the debate here. I think it's healthier than the one certainly that is going on to the south of us. Patrick, thanks for speaking with us today. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks very much for having me. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Tim and Johnson is our intern. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks to Heidi Rathjen and Patrick White for speaking with us. You can find more of Patrick's work at theglobeandmail.com. If you want to reach us, you can email us at thedecibel at globeandmail.com. And if you haven't already, please follow The Decibel wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.